Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. This is the fourth and final week of our sermon series considering the effects of modern technology on the Christian life. What blessings of modern technology can Christians embrace? What danger should we avoid? How can we use technological innovation for God's glory? And how might it tempt us to forget God? As we've said throughout, how can Christians use technology rather than be used by technology? That may be our biggest question. Now, as we'll see today, these questions can be incredibly complicated. May we pray for discernment, surround ourselves with godly brothers and sisters in Christ, humbly look for guidance from God's word, and learn from believers before us as we wrestle with these issues. We'll need all the help we can get. Now, that said, for as tricky as so many of these topics can be, Last week's wasn't really all that complicated. That topic was pornography, which modern technology has made more widely available than ever before. Scripture teaches that sexual immorality in all its various forms is spiritually deadly. And pornography, as the form that may be most pervasive and the easiest to hide in our modern day, thrives in the dark. But as terrible as that sin is, it is not beyond Christ's reach. Forgiveness, hope, healing, and freedom from that sin are available to all who believe in Christ's name. And I hope that our church can be a place where we can confess our sins to each other and encourage each other in our efforts to leave the sin behind where it belongs. But this morning, we go back to the far more complex, far less clear-cut, and just as sensitive issues brought about by recent technological advances. We're talking about how Christians might think about and utilize technology when it comes to our physical health. Now, full disclosure, I'm not a medical doctor, nor do I play one on TV. I'm not a scientist either, nor am I an ethicist. On top of that, I've never personally faced most of the scenarios that we'll discuss this morning. I'm by no means an expert. But whether we like it or not, these questions are coming our way. Pastors like me, churches like ours, and Christians like us need to learn to think and speak about these things intelligently, confidently, and compassionately from biblical, theological, and practical angles. May today be just the start of that effort here at this church. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Feel free to use our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. This is hopefully the last time we'll have to say this this summer, but given some of the content of this sermon, if you would prefer to take younger children out of the sanctuary, you're welcome to do that. Uh, That is your discernment, your decision as a parent. But before we go any further, let's 
pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for Sunday morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son who calls us together. Thank you for Christ's broken body and shed blood. Thank you that no matter how much changes in our world, the past does not change. And that past includes the cross. That past includes the resurrection. So, Lord, I pray that we would find our grounding in that. When everything else seems unpredictable and unreliable, remind us of the certainty of the cross. And remind us also of the certainty of Christ's return. We can look ahead with hope, with joy, with confidence. No matter what it is that we're walking through right now, because we know that one day you will return. Lord, sustain us and preserve us until that day comes. Help us stay awake and make good use of the time. And I pray that this morning would be a good use of that time as we read your word together, as we think together, as we pray together, as we sing together. I pray that you would guide our hearts, guide our minds. And Lord, just help us learn what it looks like to be holy as you are holy. Help us learn what it looks like to obey you and to follow you and to honor you with every part of our lives. We love you. We glorify you. We thank you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we're just going to scratch the surface of some issues involving the beginning and end of human life. That's birth and death. When it comes to birth, here's an overarching principle that every believer should have at the front of our minds. God is the author of life. God is the author of life. Psalm 139, verse 13, David writes, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Human beings are not the product of mere biology, chance, or technology. Every single one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made by God himself, bearing his image long before our parents even knew that we were there. In Genesis 1, we see God as the author of life, speaking creation into existence out of nothing and repeatedly calling it good, good, good. In verses 26 and 27, we learn that both male and female are made in God's image. And then in chapter 2, we read that God breathed life into humanity in a way unlike anything else he made. All creation is good, but human life has a unique quality and dignity that no other part of our world has. And in Genesis 1, verse 28, we read that Adam and Eve, men and women, 
are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. In short, babies are good. And God has given humanity the world to steward as his image bearers and servants. Now with that big principle in mind, that God is the author of human life and everything that entails, how might we think about two massively impactful technological developments when it comes to the beginning of human life? The first major development of the morning is medical birth control. Now, you may not think of this as very recent, but in the big scheme of history, the 1960s and 70s was not that long ago. In 1975, country music artist Loretta Lynn shocked the world when she released the song, The Pill. The song celebrated that thanks to birth control, women no longer had to be cooped up at home, holding babies, and having no fun while their irresponsible men went out to sow their wild oats. The pill promised women the same kind of freedom that men had. The pleasure of sex without the inconvenient consequence of a baby. And ever since medical birth control first came on the scene, Christians have been divided over it. The Roman Catholic Church is known for their stance against it. Meanwhile, most Protestants have remained silent on the subject. And of course, it's worth mentioning that there are many understandable reasons a woman may take medical birth control, which can't and shouldn't be reduced to a desire for sex without consequences. However, have we Christians ever even bothered to think deeply about this development from a biblical or theological angle? Have we ever considered the unintended consequences of using technology to uncouple sex and procreation? Has birth control been as good and liberating for women as it promised? Or has it only enabled men to be even more irresponsible than we were before? Now, I'm not convinced there's a clear biblical precedent for Christians to obey when it comes to the use of medical birth control. But perhaps we need to think more deeply about it than we typically have. Now, the second major development when it comes to the beginning of human life is reproductive technology. We all know people who have struggled with the frustration and the heartbreak of various degrees of infertility. It's a tragic and frustrating aspect of life in a fallen world. But in light of what we read in Genesis 1.28, God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, reproductive technologies addressing infertility may seem like a slam dunk. Our own church has seen firsthand the blessings that can come to couples struggling with infertility. And we have the joy and the privilege of thanking God for children made in his image with the help of reproductive technology. Kids, we love to see run these halls. But that doesn't mean that believers should uncritically accept 
every single development that has come our way in the past or could come our way in the future. There are legitimate moral and ethical challenges that we must wrestle with as we determine how to use these technologies in a way that rightly honors the value of human life, humbly accepts our limitations, and recognizes that God is the author of life. Again, I don't have all the answers to these questions. And Prairie View doesn't have a hard and fast stance on all of these issues. But I would challenge all of us, myself, other church leaders here, and our congregation as a whole, to start thinking through these things biblically, theologically, and prayerfully, rather than accepting them with little to no questioning. Now, there's certainly more to discuss when it comes to issues of birth brought about by modern technology. This field is often referred to as bioethics, if you've never heard that phrase before. Bioethics. And there's plenty to discuss when it comes to what happens after birth. But since we can only cover so much ground in one sermon... And since this sermon is just one small first brick in helping us start to think about these things, we now have to go to the other end of the spectrum. What are the bioethical issues that Christians must wrestle with as we consider how technology can change not just our understanding of birth, but our understanding of death? Our main overarching Christian principle for birth is that God is the author of life. We see it in Genesis 1. We see it in Psalm 139. We see it elsewhere. Our main overarching Christian principle for the other end of the spectrum is that God is greater than death. God is greater than death. Going back to Genesis, we see in chapter 3 that death answers to God. Human death as we know it only appears in the story after Adam and Eve's sin. And while Satan was the driving force of human death, tempting Adam and Eve, we can't ignore God's sovereignty over the situation. In the Bible, human death is seen as an unwelcome intruder, unoriginal to God's good design. We mentioned that earlier. And it's treated as a direct consequence of sin. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 27, the Apostle Paul refers to death as the final enemy. The final enemy that Christ overcome for all who believe in him. But also in the Bible, death is sometimes presented as a sort of relief from life in a fallen world. Some of God's people die peacefully, old and full of years, as the Old Testament puts it. Death is sometimes described in the Bible as sleeping or resting from labor. In Philippians 1, Paul seems to think that, in a way, death might not be so bad. In fact, he desires to depart and be with Christ. 
Because that is far better than anything else this life has to offer. But like it has with birth, modern technology can change the way people, Christians included, think about death. Some come to view death as something we simply need to put off as long as possible, with no qualifications. And as a result, we place too much hope and too much dependence upon medicine. J. Todd Billings, a theologian who has fought his own long, hard battle with cancer, writes this. Prayers and community, pastors and moments of reconciliation, these have receded into the background in our modern health transition. Doctors used to say, there's nothing more we can do. These days, some doctors think they can always do more, even if that more is a tortuous cycle of treatments with no hope of recovery. At the door of death, doctors have replaced pastors, and the ventilator has replaced the prayer book, and we are poorer for it. So some come to view death as something that must be put off as long as possible to an unreasonable degree. Others come to view death as something we should welcome whenever we feel appropriate. To the point of being assisted in ending our lives when we no longer feel as comfortable or as useful as we once did. But our level of comfort or usefulness does not change the fact that God is the author of life. It doesn't change the fact that we bear his image. And it doesn't change the fact that he alone is greater than death. And while there are tragic moments when we must make difficult decisions to let a friend or a loved one die, that's different than deciding when we Or someone else should be killed. And still others believe that death isn't something we should just delay. Isn't something that should just be left to our own choice. But something we can overcome entirely. Whether it's through genetic modification. Mechanical enhancement. Or some form of digital immortality. Some believe that we can eventually reach a point where we no longer have to go gentle into the good night of death at all. But quite frankly, it's the height of human arrogance to think that we can reverse the curse of sin by our own power. In short, we Christians would do well to reject these errors. Delaying death to an unreasonable degree thinking that we should have total control over when and how we die, or trying to overcome death entirely by technological power. Christians don't have to fear death the way we once did. Paul says in Romans 14 verse 8 that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We remember that in both life and death, our only comfort is that we are not our own, 
but we belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Because that's true, we don't have to delay. We don't have to control. We don't have to overcome death because Jesus has already died and risen, never to die again. And one day upon his coming, Jesus will overturn death once and for all, for all who believe in his name. Again, this is just scratching the surface of some of the bioethical issues coming our way. But we would do well to remember our two main principles this morning. That God is the author of life. And that God is greater than death. Both are true of him. Neither is true of us. So in both areas, we must learn to reject efforts to play God. Adam and Eve fell into that trap of trying to be too much like God, and they suffered for it. And so have all of us. And at all times, we must remember that we are creatures with limitations. And that's not a bad thing. There are questions we can't and shouldn't try to answer. There are things we can't and shouldn't try to do. And Christians of all people should have the humility to recognize and accept those truths. But what now? What does this mean for? May we strive to think biblically, theologically, and prayerfully about all of these things. These questions aren't going away. And Christians need to be prepared to speak intelligently, confidently, and compassionately about them. To some basic degree, we need to familiarize ourselves with these issues. We need to educate ourselves on these things. A good resource to consider may be Trinity International University's Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. I'm biased because I'm a student there. But it's a great resource that is very accessible to normal people like us, normal Christians like us, trying to learn about this stuff, trying to think through these things as believers in Jesus. In addition, Zach and I both have books that I'm sure we'd be happy to lend you sitting in our libraries. Second, may we consider our relationship with the world around us. As mentioned a moment ago, we are creatures. We're created creatures. And as we said at the beginning of the sermon, while creation is fallen, and that includes us, creation is still good. It's not an enemy we must always be fighting against. It's not something that we must always be trying to overcome and master. Nancy Piercy writes, Do we see nature as essentially good, a gift from the Creator to be accepted with gratitude? Or do we see nature as a set of negative limitations to be controlled and conquered? How we answer that question says a lot about us. 
And Christians strive to be in the first category. Understanding God's creation to be essentially good. Even if it's fallen. And it's a gift from him that we can accept with gratitude. And that includes the limitations. Third, may we remember that every part of our lives is lived before God's face. You may be wondering why we're even talking about this stuff. Can't we just have a nice, warm, encouraging little Bible story? Well, God has a claim on all of this. He has a say in all of this. These are not just worldviews, opinions, or policies that some of us have to think about and some of us don't. Or that we can neatly separate our Christian faith or our Sunday morning activities from these things. It's not true. God cares about all of this. And our faith should inform how we think about and practice all of it. So may every part of our lives, including how we deal with all of these thorny issues, be lived before God's face. He cares about all of it. Again, God is the author of life. God is greater than death. And he is Lord of everything that happens in between. As we've seen these past few weeks, modern technology can do many wonderful things for our world. And it can do many harmful things for our world. But it can never replace God. And it can never save us. In a world that is changing by the day, one thing remains the same. That Jesus Christ is our only true comfort in both life and death. As preacher Charles Spurgeon examined the world around him, seeing all the changes of the rise of industrialization, Spurgeon wrote this, After all these marvels have come and gone, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ will still abide. They will not pass away. Come whatever change there may, even if the human race should reach that wonderful development which some prophesy for it, yet still the words of our Lord Jesus Christ shall not pass away. And when the greatest alteration of all shall take place, And this present era come to an end, and all material things be consumed with fire and be destroyed. Yet even then, there shall remain above the ashes of the world and all that is therein, the imperishable revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our world is changing by the day, by the hour, by the minute. Some of it's good, and some of it's not. But may we remember that our faith, our hope, our joy, our confidence, our assurance, they are not in any of those things. Our faith, our hope, our joy, our confidence, and our assurance are in Christ and Christ alone. 
no matter what changes in the world around us, no matter what comes next. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for Sunday morning. And thank you for the opportunity to even just start to think through happening in our world that we think your word has nothing to say about. And while your word does not address every single issue, conundrum, question that may come our way explicitly, and it's not always easy to find a chapter and verse to point to that serves as some silver bullet solution to all these questions. You still have a say over these things. You still have something to offer from your word as we think through these things, as we wrestle through these things, as we seek to steward the world that you gave us in a way that is humble and grateful and really responsible. Lord, remind us that we will answer to you for how we handle this world that you've given us. There are wonderful developments that humanity has brought about that are glorifying to you and good for us. But there are also many problems and many harms and many dangers and threats. And more are coming our way. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us discernment as we figure out what it looks like to follow you and obey you in 2022 and in 2042 and in 2062 or until Christ comes. I pray that you'd give us discernment and give us humility. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we think through these issues together as a church. Again, they're not going away. And we might not like to talk about them. We might not prefer to talk about them, but they're being thrust at us. And so we have to think about them. We have to talk about them. We have to pray about them. And so I pray that you would help us to do that here at this church that you would be with other churches and other Christians as they're having to start thinking and talking and praying about the same things. Help us testify to the truth of your word. Keep those big principles in mind and use technology in a way that glorifies you, but in a way that recognizes that you are God and we are not. Lord, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for this place where we can think through these things as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray that you'd help us do that moving forward. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who, again, will never change and will return no matter how much our world changes around us. We ask this all in his name. Amen.